morning. Good morning. All right. Looks like, looks like y'all would catch this eventually, okay? <laughs> I have to say that too many times twice. So glad that you're here. Glad you're here. Hey, is Gabriella with us today? Awesome. Awesome. Let's welcome Gabriella for her first time ever visit to Church 2911. On, on the outside of her mom's skin. Uh, anyway, so right. Man, that's awesome. I'm glad that they're here with us. And and, and the, the Wednesday night, let me say this real quick if I can, because Wednesday night is a very, very busy night. We've got uh, CPR for adults, and that's 6.30 to 8.30, okay? So don't, don't forget that. It's not 7 to 8 this week. Uh, the the uh, youth are going over to Christway for the Sea at the Pole rally because Sea at the Pole is the next day uh, on Thursday. And uh, uh, I think 714 is helping, helping me out Wednesday night because uh, I'm doing a boys' Uh, small groups, and Diane is doing a girl small group. So we, we got stuff going on, a lot of stuff. And my wife, Dava, is teaching a class for any adults that don't want to be in CPR. But if you want to be in the CPR class, you need to see Lisa Farley. We have a limited number that they can actually train in one night, okay? So you need to see her and get your place reserved. And don't reserve a place unless you're definitely going to be here because uh, but we, we do want to get trained. We're trying to get our WOW team trained and, and our kids team, as many as possible, to be trained. I would really like to... I'm a, see, I've already preached this sermon once today, you know, so I would really like to just skip the message and go right on to worship, <laughs> Jamie. I'd really, like, I'd really like to just jump on to the end of the service because I know what I'm preaching. It's like I've already, I've already uh, studied it, you know, all this over and over and over, and I've already preached it. And I'm just ready to jump to the end of this, but you're not there with me yet. So, okay, we'll back up, uh, back up to 9.55 or whatever time it was, I started this message, and we're going to get into a message on worship this morning. And we're talking about counterfeits. We weren't here last week, uh, talked about sex. Uh, and listen, sex is not a counterfeit. God actually created a beautiful, wonderful, awesome thing with sex. But if you weren't here last week, you need to um, check uh, the, the uh, podcast out. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like these right here? Anybody like these here? You do, you do like these? You know? I, I actually opened one and tasted, it's a Coke Zero for Gary and anybody else who needs glasses. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, it, uh, I, I, I've never had a Coke Zero. I've, I've tasted a lot of diet drinks before, but I've never had a Coke Zero. This morning in the 9.30 service, I popped one at the beginning of my message and took a sip of it, you know, just for everybody to witness. Uh, now listen, I, I just got to be honest with you. I have probably had in my whole lifetime maybe five diet drinks in my life, okay? I remember, I remember having two tabs. Anybody know what a tab was? You know, I remember having two tabs when I was small. My, my grandmother, she was a diabetic. She always had tabs. She bought them by the caseload. And, and I mean, at her house, it was water, buttermilk, or tab. And uh, sometimes, you know, a couple of times I remember breaking down and having to have a tab. And so I'd, I probably maybe five diet drinks in my life. You can ask my wife. I'm, I am not lying. I am not exaggerating. So I popped this top this morning, and, and uh, I took a sip of it, and I had to give the rest to Mac because, honestly, let me tell you, it still has an aftertaste. I don't care. I know some of you say, oh, no, that, this, this, is a, this is the best. There is. It, this doesn't even, it tastes like the, the original Coke and all that doesn't have an aftertaste. No, let me tell you, it does have an aftertaste. Let, let, me, let me tell you, no, no, this, this right here is the stuff right here. In the old bottle, you know, the thick glass bottles. This is the stuff. I mean, it, anybody old enough to remember what they were called? This, this is the real thing, right? You know, and, and we're talking about counterfeits, right? Okay, so here's your counterfeit this morning, and here's your real thing, okay? And, and, and here's the thing. And here, here's, the, here's a little point I want to just 
get your attention drawn to. I really would like to pop this open and eat it and drink it right now, but uh, I guess you can screw that off. Look, it doesn't look like one. But here's the thing. For those of you who say there is no aftertaste, let me tell you why. It's because you drink them all the time. You don't, you don't recognize the aftertaste anymore. But for those of us who have maybe five in our life, there's an aftertaste. Believe me, there is an aftertaste. Same thing like with last, last week's message about sex. When you don't handle sex the way God intended, when it's not real but it's counterfeit, you're doing your, your way and those things, it's wrong and there is an aftertaste. There is a bad feeling. Come on, go ahead and say amen or owe me or something. We know it. When, when, when we get out of God's will in those areas, there is an aftertaste in our spirit about it. But you keep dealing with the counterfeit, you keep taking in the, what happens to the aftertaste. The aftertaste starts going away, doesn't it? The aftertaste starts slipping away, and all of a sudden, it tastes just as good as the real thing. Same thing with worship. Same thing with worship. When you don't have right worship in your life, there's a little bit of an aftertaste. And as you continue to just do worship any old way you want to, and you don't worry and you're not concerned about right worship, there's an aftertaste, but you continue on, that aftertaste begins to slip away from you, and eventually you start slipping into some kind of tradition or some kind of way that feels good to you, and, and you don't even realize that you're no longer worshiping right or worshiping in truth. You know, but there's always an aftertaste, but the difference is, is when you no longer taste the aftertaste of wrong worship, God is still tasting the aftertaste. I mean, when you come in, if you don't have right worship and you want to run in here and, and, wor- and, and act like you're worshiping God and you, you don't have right worship in your life, God's got an aftertaste. He, he tastes something. Something's, not, mm, something's just not right with that. Now, I popped that in the, in the early service, but let me tell you, I still had a bad aftertaste. Beverly gave me a, a, a tic-tac in the middle of the altar service this morning because just to help me with that aftertaste, I only had one little sip. And, and even after that tic-tac, it was still, I could still taste that aftertaste. And it's the same way with God when our worship is not right before Him. He has an aftertaste. And nothing is going to take that aftertaste away out of His mouth until we get right worship. Let's pray and let's get into this message on worship this morning. Father, I love you and I thank you, God, for uh, God that you even care to hear me praise you and worship you and glorify you. God, and I thank you for direction that you give us about worship, Lord, because uh, so we know how to approach you. God, I just ask you, Lord, please guide us through this time. I pray, Lord, my words are so insignificant. God, my words are so uh, unable, Lord, to uh, be able to explain, God, exactly what, what we even mean by right worship. God, that's something we really need your Holy Spirit to just deal with each of us in an individual way, God, on an individual basis. Deal with us, God, about what right worship is, God, so that we can see it. Get rid of counterfeits. Get rid of things that we've, that we've uh, allowed to become a crutch in our worship, God, and be able, Lord, to, to reach you, to, to connect with you, God. I, I just pray, God, that you help us build right worship in our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You know, I was talking to someone the other day, and they were talking about, and this was somebody not too far from my age, and we were talking about, you know, the dating scene out there. And, you know, it scared me to death, you know, if, if something happened and I had to be back out there on the dating scene. You know, you think about all that stuff you have to go through, and you're trying to figure out what somebody likes. I mean, you, you guys who are dating, you know, and those things, being out there and thinking about that, you know, wouldn't it be great if, if you could just kind of walk up to, you know, guys, you know, if you could walk up to a girl and say, hey, look, I'd like to date you. Do you would you give me the list? And that every girl 
girl had a list of here's the ways that you romance me and you here's the things that I like and I don't like and all this, you know. And so, you know, you could look over the list and say, oh, no, never mind, I don't want to or whatever, you know. Or at least if, if you still wanted to, at least you had the list. You'd say, oh, great, you know, okay, I can do, I can do, oh, yeah, I can, okay. And you, you know, Guess what? God gives us the list. He tells us how he wants us to worship him. You know, we're not wandering around in the dark trying to figure it out, even though a lot of us are wandering around in the dark. He gives us what we need to know about how he wants us to worship him, okay? So we're going to look at that. Now, if I were to ask each of you, you know, just maybe one at a time, we'd be here all day, I guess, if I did that. But if I were to ask you, describe worship to me. You know what you would do? You would begin painting for us a mental image, a, a picture in our heads of, of what worship would look like. Maybe, maybe to some of you, you know, you're used to high church worship, maybe in your past, or, or you know, you're worship, you know, maybe uh, small church worship, you know, or, or maybe you're used to contemporary worship, or maybe uh, the worship of churches with choirs and those kinds of things. I mean, we would paint uh, mental images and pictures. I mean, that's what we would do to describe worship. And that's not worship. You know, that's not what worship is because all of these right here, the, you know, here's the thing. You can worship in any of these places, right? Is there any of these places you couldn't worship? I mean, I've never done, I've been in some big, nice, pretty beautiful buildings like that, but I've never really tried to go anywhere. But I could worship there. I mean, if they wanted to sing, then sings, my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great that, I could worship with that. Yeah, if they want to sing some, I like the high church hymns. I've been in a lot of little churches, little buildings like that, not any painted pink that I know of, but uh, I've been in some of those. But you know what? I've, I've worshiped in some that looked a whole lot worse than that. And, and with uh, traditional music, uh, music that uh, my grandmother used to sing, you know, hey, I've, when I was a little bitty kid, I used, I could worship with that. Or I could worship in, in the contemporary setting, like more closer probably to what we have around here or this choir setting. Uh, I tell you, I got to throw out my pet peeve right here. One of the things I don't like is I don't like people who watch choirs sing. That's not worship. I don't, I, I just tell you, I don't like people who come to church and watch other people worship. That's not worship. Watching somebody do something. Worship is, is a spectator thing. Everybody has, but here's the thing. Here's my point right here. None of these define worship because worship is bigger than any one of these. Worship is deeper than any one of these. And, and, and our words just fail us to be able to describe what worship truly is. And if we define it like this, then my goodness, we've, we've made a box of here, here's what worship is. And here, but worship is so much bigger, so much more, so much deeper than any of the pictures that you and I could paint for someone else to understand what worship is. And so we, we need God, your Holy Spirit, to speak to us today and help us understand what worship is. So let's define it. Okay, let's define it. Here we got definition of worship. To love unquestionably, to show, div- oh, you know, that's just so, you know, just cold and clinical right there. You know, that, that, that doesn't tell me what worship really is. You know, because, I mean, you know, Webster, you know, Webster didn't, he didn't create worship, so Webster can't tell me what worship is. Y'all know who Webster is, right? I mean, in this day of internet, you know, and, and online dictionaries, you know, Webster was the guy, you know, that old dictionary that I used to carry around to school, you know, when I was a kid. You know, Webster's dictionary. You know, Webster can't define worship. But let's read this last thing, just for, so you see. From, it comes from the old English word, worship, meaning worth-ship which means to ascribe worth to something. It means to say something has value to me. Something is valuable to me. And so, you know, you can worship a lot of things, right? You don't just worship God. You can worship a lot of things. Anything that has value to you, you know, as, as you give it 
value. It doesn't mean you even have to say it with your mouth, but is you give it value as devotion in any way with your spirit, your heart or something. It, you're describing worth to it, then you are worshiping. But I don't want to go here. Here's where we're going to go. Where do we need to go? One of the uh, core values of Church 2911 and the dream is, is that we return to an absolute supremacy of the Word of God. There is nothing more important than the Word of God. And even Webster's Dictionary, if Webster says... Here, Mac, I'm going to keep this cold for you so you can drink it later. If, uh, if Webster says one thing and this word says another, guess which one we go by. It is this thing, okay? So we're going to go to this. But we're not just going to go to this anywhere because, uh, you know, there's been some changes since the Old Testament. And some people argue that, like I said last week. And so we're not going to go to the Old Testament. We're going to the New Testament. We're not just going to the New Testament. We're going to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we're going to read what he says worship is. Because if anybody knows, it's the guy that created it, right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God created this, so he's going to be able to tell us what worship is. So let's go. Now, in this story, we're in the middle of a story of the, of the lady that he meets at the well. So, you know, she's the woman at the well, people call her, you know, Samaritan woman. And so she kind of brings up this little point, and she's got a question about worship, and Jesus gives us the description of what worship is. Here it is, John chapter 4. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So you look at these verses, and what do you get out of that? Well, I know there's two words right there you get out of, and because he's mentioned them a couple of times. And we, we use this, these verses to, to talk about those two words a lot. We've actually even sung a song already this morning that uses those two words. But before we get to those two words of spirit and truth, I want you to see some other things right here. First of all is, the whole, is that this lady was missing the whole point. I mean, she was asking him about worship instead of worshiping, you know? I mean, you know, instead of doing that, Jesus Christ was standing right here in front of her. And what was she doing? She was going to, she started a discussion on worship. She started almost a debate. I mean, you know, a couple of words from Jesus and hey, they could be in an argument right now because she was of the Samaritans. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. You're going to see that, that uh, we're going to get to some verses of scripture toward the end. I'm going to take you to first Kings. You're going to see where when the kingdom was divided, that there were some other worship set up in, in, in Samaria and in the northern parts of the kingdom of Israel. There was some worship. And so there was some, uh, now there's some argument about whether to worship. And so this is what she's, she's talking about. Where are we supposed to, are we supposed to worship here? we're supposed to worship there because we worship here Jesus and and you know you you Jews you say worship in Jerusalem so where is it you know I think you know it'd be like Jesus coming in and sitting down on the front pew in the front row and we come up and sit by him and say hey when when do you think they're gonna get that interstate finished down the road here Jesus you know I mean my good it's God has showed up in our lives and we're still debating and arguing and discussing things instead of saying wait a minute you know here that's the thing you know it really if you just get all that junk out of your head, you would start worshiping immediately if you realized, as Jamie said, you know, we're standing here in the presence of the Holy One of Israel. He has come into this house. If we could just get a picture of who He is and remember that, I mean, worship would just automatically be again happening in our spirits. But she said, wait a minute. Here's the thing He did. The first thing He did. The first counterfeit to worship that He gives us is worship is not about a place. If you have to wait till Sunday morning to worship, 
uh, you ain't worshiping. I mean, if you walked in here and started your worship right now, you, you're not really worshiping. I mean, you're doing something, but you're not really worshiping. And worship is not about a time. If you wait until this time, if you wait until this place, if you've got to go here or you've got to go there. I mean, I know some people, they can't worship unless you're in a, you know, a, a, a room with four walls like this. And so, I mean, I've got some friends that if I ask them, some minister friends, if I ask them to come preach, I can, I can, just, I can just see them, you know, right before, right before as the service was going, Jamie's up beginning to lead us in praise and worship, and we're, we're standing there, and he le- i got a bunch of friends. I lean over and he said, where's your pulpit? You've got to have a pulpit to have church. You've got to have a pulpit to worship. Now, t- show me that in the Bible. Where you got to have a pulpit? Listen, uh, we weren't made to serve a pulpit. Pulpits were made to serve us. I don't need one for my Bible, so we don't have a pulpit. It just kind of get in the way right here of, of being between me and you and being between the music and you. And so we don't have a pulpit. It's not about a thing. It's not about, I got, a, I got friends that they couldn't get over some of those things. But hey, we can worship in a big, in a big fancy church hall. We can worship in a little pink room out in the middle of the country somewhere. We can worship out in a field. That's the whole point Jesus was trying to make is there's coming a time, and he says, and now is that those who worship in are not going to worship in this mountain. They're not going to worship in Jerusalem. He's not saying that you can't worship on the mountain anymore. What he's saying is, is that worship is not going to be confined to this place or that place, but worship is something you can do any place, any time that, that you desire. It is something that you're going to do. And, and then he goes on, and he's beginning begins to talk about real worship. I think, is that the, is that the next thing? My, yeah, real worship, real worship. Just make sure I didn't skip something. He, he emphasizes real worship because what does he say? He says, the Father is seeking some that will worship him in true, or tr- he's seeking true worshipers or real worshipers. Now, you know what this says to me? This says to me, if there are true, if he is emphasizing the fact that God is seeking true worshipers, then there must be some untrue worshipers some counterfeits, maybe some people who are specifically on purpose, and that's what we're going to read about a king in 1 Kings toward the end of this message, about, a, about people that are, are purposefully setting up counterfeit worship because they don't want people to worship in truth. But then there's a whole lot more people, I, I believe, that are worshiping uh, counterfeit ways or in untrue ways that they just simply are following along with the crowd or they just got caught up in something and they're not really paying attention to their worship. And Jesus is saying he, that God is seeking real worship, true worshipers. That's what he's looking for. And, you know, if you're going to be a true worshiper, you're going to be a real worshiper, then look. Okay, you know, he's giving you the list. You know, if you're going to date me, here's the list, right? You know, okay, so if you're really wanting to date Jesus, if you're wanting to become intimate with him and have a relationship with him, you're going to pay attention to the list. I mean, if that's the way it works, you know, a girl gives you a list and you look at it. Well, if you want to keep dating her, you're going to pay attention to the list, right? I mean, that's what you're going to... And if, if you're going to worship God and have a relationship, you're going to pay attention. Here's something else that worship is not. It's something that... The haphazard way we approach our worship. That we come in, you know, on Sunday morning, and listen, it doesn't have to be about Sunday, and actually, I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a second, but we come in on Sunday morning... And, and it's like we just kind of think, well, you know, if, if I feel like it, I might worship. They sing the right song. I know, I know people that don't worship until they sing the right song, you know. I know people. I, and, oh, and we, work, we can worship all kinds of things, but he, he's looking for real worship. Well, what is real worship? Okay. Well, let's get on there and move in that direction. So real worship. And so he talks about we have to worship in spirit. Or did I skip one? Thank you. I'm just worried I'm skipping something here because I'm trying to go real fast. Worship in spirit. So worship in spirit, what, what is he talking about here? Worship is something that is spiritual. It is not physical. Worship is not what you do with your hands. It's not what you do with your feet. It's not what you do with your mouth. 
You remember me telling you last week when we were talking about the counterfeits of sex and how that you don't commit sin with your hands and with your feet and with your body? You commit sin in your heart and you act it out with your body, with your hands. You know what? Worship is the same way. As a matter of fact, anything spiritual is the same way. It all begins in here and you act it out with your hands. It's not about our hands and it's not about our feet and it's not about our bodies. You know, here, here's the whole thing, is if your, your worship begins when you say, oh, it's Sunday morning, and you roll out of bed and drag your tired body here to church, that's not worship. You know, that's what some people think. Well, I showed up, so I'm worshiping God. That's not worship. If your worship began when you roll out of bed and drug yourself to church today, it isn't worship. If your worship begins when you drag your hands out of your pockets and raise them up, Say, okay, I'm going to worship a little while. That's not worship. It's not about your hands. It's not about your mouth. It's not about your body. It's not about the things you do. It begins in your heart. And sometimes we act out our worship with our hands. Sometimes we act it out maybe with our feet. You know, I, I sometimes just kind of have a hard time standing still, you know, when I'm, when I'm singing and worshiping God. I just kind of get moving with the music. I can't dance, but, you know, I can move a little bit, you know. Uh, and we, we, we act out with our mouths. I mean, we sing songs. We all do that. But if it begins with the singing of a song, it isn't worship. If it begins when, when Jamie starts the first song and you open your mouth and that's the beginning of your worship, it's not really worship. You're just doing something because you don't commit sin with your hands and you don't commit worship with your hands. You, you, you commit worship with your, with your heart. That's where it begins and you just act it out with all these other things. The worship has to begin somewhere else. It's got to begin not in a place, not in a time. It has to begin every moment of your day because you are a spirit and God is a spirit. It's not something we do by coming here. It's not something we do by lifting up our hands and, and speaking out praises. It is something we do every moment that, we, that we're alive. It, it is something that we do when we get up in the morning and, and when we're driving down the road and we're on our way to class or we're on our way to work or we're on our way to take the kids to, to, to school or to go to the grocery store or whatever. It, it's something that we can do in our spirits no matter what it is we're doing. We're, and listen, let me tell you this. If, if, if your worship is something you can only do on Sunday, if it's something you can only do, it isn't worship. So conversely, what that means is, is if you can't do whatever you do that you call worship in, in your spirit, if you can't do it every day that you live and every place that you ever find yourself, then it isn't worship because worship is a spiritual thing. And we, then we come together and just imagine what it would be like if, if, if people w- would think every moment of their day driving up and down the road and going to all those places I talked about and they were thinking about God and they were, they were just getting intimate with Him and, and just believing in Him and talking to Him and, and asking Him questions and thinking and just getting to know Him. And then we all come together and somebody, as the writer says, as somebody has a psalm and somebody has this and somebody has a, a prophecy and somebody has, and somebody has a a testimony and somebody has a a little bit of a hand raise and somebody's got a little bit of a lip praise and and somebody's got a little bit of a foot praise because it all began in our spirit. Imagine what a worship service we could have. But if it begins at the worship service, it isn't worship. It has to begin in our spirits. It has to be an everyday thing. It's got to be something that you do every day. It's got to be something that you do when nobody else is around. It's a spirit thing. That's where it begins. We just act it out with our hands. It has to be worship in spirit. And he said also in truth. And here's the truth is we've got to get back to it being about God. We've got to get back to worship being about God. 
because it becomes so many other things. You know, we, we, can, we can worship a church. We can worship, worship a pastor. I've never led a whole lot of people in the false worship of pastors. Because, uh, you know, I can, I can be a little controversial just every once in a while. I can really dig at you a little bit just every once in a while. You know, but we can worship all kinds of things. We worship youth pastors. We worship ministers of music. My goodness, yes, we can worship ministers of music. We can worship all these things. And Jesus is saying, we've got to get to the truth of this. And here's what the truth of worship is. We have to get back to the true object of worship. And the true object of worship is that king who is sitting on a throne somewhere that I can't see and I can't visit in this physical body. But if I'll just take some time and close my eyes and think on him for just a little while, I can, I can, I can once again reconnect with him and my spirit can begin to worship his spirit. And I said this, and I don't have time to... To, to, to take a lot, of, a lot of time here explaining this, but I said this not too long ago, and I, I said it in the early service, that you know, a lot of times if, I, if I'm in too big a hurry and, and I've got too busy a day and, you know, and I just kind of run into the house at the end of the day or whatever, you know, I'll just kind of yell at David down the hall or something. I might throw a kiss at her, you know, kind of almost hit her cheek with my, with my lips or something. You know. But if I've had a day that I've just had a little bit of time driving down the road and I think about her a little bit, you know, and I, uh, back, back, you remember the, back in those days when I used to write her poems, you know, and during the low times at, at work, you know. Y'all ever write poems? Okay, none of you men going to raise your hands and admit it, are you? I'll talk to your wives or your girlfriends later and we'll find out if you do. But, you know, those times... And I think about her, and I think about all the things that we've been through. I think about all the good times that we've had. I think about even some of the bad times that we've had that we had to stick together really to, to make it work, you know. And I start thinking about that, and I start treasuring her in my heart for just like, man, when I get home on those days, my wife's sitting here again this morning. She's going to say, she probably could say, there's not enough of those days. When I get home those days, you know what? I don't just walk in the door and say, hey, day, I'm home. You know, I, I want to go find her. You know, I want to go pick at her a little bit. You know, I want to, I want to tickle her or something. You know, I, you know, I want to kiss her. I want, you know, because she can't stand it for you to touch her, her ribs or tickle her or anything. I, I want to kiss her a little bit. You know, you know what her immediate response most of the time is, what'd you do? What's wrong? What'd, what'd you break? What'd you spend? You know, that kind of a thing because, you know, because that's out of the norm because I don't take time to do that often enough. And what happens when we come to church? The same thing. We've not been talking about God, not been thinking about Him, and, and we just walk into church and we just kind of, hey God, I'm here, you know, kind of a thing. But what if all week long we were doing right worship, we were doing true worship, worship that began in our spirit? What if all week long we were spending some time thinking about all these years that we've been together, all the good times that we've had, all the bad times that we've had, the stuff that He's helped me get through? And my goodness, when I walked in the door on Sunday morning, you know what I'd do? I'd want to run, jump up into His lap, throw my arms around His neck and say, thank you God, I've, I've really enjoyed being with you, but I'm so glad that I'm in a special place of your presence today because, because we're all gathered here. And just enjoy that worship because the worship began in truth, worshiping who He was. Instead of worshiping all this stuff around here, it was worshiping Him every moment, every day of my life, every, every, every time I was, I was out there busy and doing something. Here, let me take you the Scripture. i gotta, I got to hurry right here. But in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, this was when, when God was dividing the kingdom. The, Israel was disobeying God. The kings had disobeyed God. And so now God was splitting the kingdom in two. And, and here's something that's very interesting about this. Uh, now the southern kingdoms were the kingdoms that, uh, the southern kingdom was, were the tribes that, that still followed God at times. And he called them Judah. And the northern tribes that became the other kingdom, that was Israel. And Israel, here's something interesting. Israel never had a king 
for the rest of their existence. Now, they were split to Judah and Israel. Israel never had a king for their entire existence during the, during the, the split kingdom that followed God. They were all evil. But occasionally, Judah would have a good king. They'd have a bad king, a good king, a couple of bad, a couple of good, back and forth. And no matter, whatever the king did is really what the people did. They followed the king. Uh, see, that's, that's a good sermon on spiritual authority right there. You need to just listen to that, man, uh, moms and dads, men of the house. You need to listen to those kinds of things. Okay, but so here, here's where we're at. And this is the king of the northern kingdom, an unrighteous. And here's what he's going to do. is because he doesn't want all the people of this new kingdom, you know, they've split off now. He doesn't want them running down to the southern kingdom going to church. Here's what he does. Therefore the king asked advice, and he made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem, to go to church way down there. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far away as Dan was. He made shrines on the holy places. He made priests from every class of people. He even made priests of those who weren't of the sons of Levi, which is the way God instructed him to, instructed Israel to do. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month like the feast that was in Judah. He offered sacrifices on this false counterfeit altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel he installed priests of high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month and the month which he had devised in his own heart. He just came up with a day on his own heart, in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. He did all these things to give them a counterfeit worship. He did all these things to give them an experience of worship. Now the experience that they had was pretty much just like the one in Jerusalem where the real temple was. There was only one thing missing. The truth. God. You can have an experience and still not have worship. You can have an amazing church service and still not have worship. And, you know, whenever I preach like this, I always get just a few people say, well, it doesn't sound like you like worship at all. No, you're misunderstanding me. I like worship, but I like it the way God likes it. I like it that starts in the heart of every believer. And then it just it grows out from there. And if we just have an experience, and this is what he did, is he created an experience. He, he gave them a place to worship. He gave them ways to worship. They devised their own. He gave them days to worship. He, he, he built all these things, and, and they had all this stuff to worship, but they were focusing on all these things, all these places. That, oh, we've got to get up to the mountain to worship. Oh, we've got to get over here to worship. Oh, we've got to take this to worship. We've got to do this to worship. And nobody was thinking about God. I mean, and I wonder sometimes, do we do that on a Sunday morning? Do we do that on Monday? Do, the, do we do that on a Tuesday afternoon and a Thursday morning and in the middle of the night on a Friday night? Do we ever stop and say, have I worshipped God today? Have I given Him any glory? Have I spent any time with Him? I mean, that's the whole thing. And again, if your worship is not something you can do every day, every place that you find yourself, then it isn't worship. Why is right worship so important? Why is right worship so important? First of all, because... God wants it. What Jesus said, the Father seeks those who will worship Him truly. He's looking for some true worshipers. Why is right worship? Because God said He wants it. Two more points. Why worship is so important. Before I give them to you, I want to ask you to stand and come stand with me here at the front.
Why is true worship important? Why is right worship important? There are a thousand ways, thousands of ways you can worship and not worship rightly or truly. Make sure your worship is true. And, and, and here's, here's, here's just the key. The key is, is just real simple right here. It is that it is you and God. How many of you guys, when you invite, you invite a girl on a date, you take your best buddy with you? God don't want your best buddy with you either. Sometimes he just wants you and him. That's, what he, that's where worship begins. It's right here. He wants just you and him in this temple. The temple of Jerusalem is no longer there. Thousands of temples all over the world because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You walk around with the building of worship every day. When you get in your car, you are putting the building of worship in your car. When you go to work, you're taking the building of worship to work. When you go to school, you're taking the building of worship to school. I mean, there it is. It's, it's, it's really simple. And, and all these other things that get in our mind and get in our way are the false worship that will keep us from worshiping rightly. Let me tell you why worship, right worship is so important. First of all, because God wants it. Secondly, because worship brings him into your life situations. Anybody got any situations? Anybody? Yeah, a few people. Y'all got some situations? Worship brings him into your situations. Don't have time for the scriptures, Mike. We'll have to skip them again. But if you, if you, if you doubt me, ask me. Mike, Mike can give them to you because they're right there ready to go. But it's first of all this. He inhabits the praises of Israel, the Word of God says. When we, when we begin to praise him, God inhabits the. He comes and he dwells. And, and, and one, uh, one understanding of the word there as it's translated, it says we, we enthrone him on our praise. As we build him a place to just come and sit with us. You got, you got life situations? Then build him a place to sit with you. And how do you do that? With your worship. Uh, or, and it, it also says in the New Testament, it says where two or three are gathered together, there he is in our midst. When we come together in his name, when we come together in a right worship, in His name, not in all the names of all this other stuff that we get, like, but when we come in His name, He is there in our midst. What an awesome benefit that is to right worship is that God comes and visits us when we worship rightly. And it also says, in the Old Testament, it says that when, he lit, when we raise Him up, when we raise Him up, His enemies are scattered. Uh, the, the psalm was written. A song was a song. That's what the psalms are. A song was written that said, "Let God arise and His enemies be scattered." The Book of Psalms, but that's not where it began either. It was actually something that that Moses said every day when they were in the wilderness and they were walking around with the Ark of the Covenant on their way from Egypt to the Promised Land. Every day they would pick up the Ark and they would start moving and trying to follow. The, the cloud of God's glory and, and follow Him wherever He was leading. Every day that they picked up the ark to follow God, Moses would say, let God arise and let His enemies be scattered from us. Every day. Come on. Can you preach that message to yourself later today? Maybe tomorrow when you're riding down the road on your way to work and you got a boss that you just don't want to do. you got a situation at work. you got a situation at school. You're on your way to that. You know, as you 
raise up your day and start trying to follow along, follow after God, then just riding down the road, getting ready to go to school, to work, wherever it is, say, say God, I, I got some situations. I need you to raise up in my life and scatter all of your enemies before me. This is the reason for right worship. This is the reason for it. It's, it's because this is, what, this is all of what it gives us. And here's another message for another time. I just don't have time to even bring you to the Scripture. But there was a time when Paul and Silas found themselves in a, in a jail in Philippi because they'd been preaching the Word and they were bound by chains. And it said in the midnight hour, at midnight they began worshiping and praising God and God sent an earthquake and bro- broke open the doors of the prison, broke off the chains of their hands. We've, we've already sung a song about God do that. Set us all free. you got life situations. You need God to move into your life situation and break some things down and, and destroy some stuff that has been hindering and holding back and, and, and binding you, then by all means, you need to give a midnight prayer. You need to give a midnight, uh, a midnight praise. You need to start worshiping, you know, driving down the road again. Wherever it is, you, God, I'm in a midnight hour here. It's dark, God, in my life. I need something. So I'm going to praise you. That sounds stupid, doesn't it? I need something, so I'm going to praise you. Now, that's how it works. That's the reason you need right worship. Jamie's going to lead us in a final song. And I normally say, don't start singing until you finish praying, but this is going to be different today. She's going to lead us in a final song. Got a final scripture for you and a final song. But here's the final point just before Jamie takes us to this song. It's why is right worship so important? Because, listen to this, hear this, get this, because God deserves it. Nothing else really matters. He deserves it. This morning, let's just turn our gaze to God. Let's just look at God this morning. See Him in His holiness. God is so holy and so worthy. Before we go into this next song, there's just a verse that I want to read. And it's in Isaiah 6. It says, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And like that verse says, when you compare yourself to God, you see we are undeserving. We're so undeserving. We're unclean. We don't deserve to be able to worship God. But because God is so holy and so worthy and he deserves it, we need to worship God. And he wants us to worship him despite of our falling shorts, despite of our shortcomings, God wants us to worship Him. So this this morning, see God for who He is. See God for His holiness and His righteousness and His deserving to be worshipped. Let's just worship Him.